This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Stephen, Julian, Tim, Caleb F., Benton, and Caleb J., First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Stephen, who asks, Can we do the Lord's Supper at home or everywhere? No, we can't, Stephen, and there's a good reason for this. The Lord's Supper is about the body of Christ and for the body of Christ. Like baptism, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament that Jesus has given to us as the church, not just as individuals. That means we cannot do it for ourselves on our own. Only a minister of the church can administer the Lord's Supper, and only after the preaching of the Word, which means that the congregation needs to be gathered together for worship. Usually, this would happen in the sanctuary as part of a worship service, but as long as the minister is there with some members of the congregation, the place isn't what's important. What matters is the proper administration. If you're curious to know more about the Lord's Supper, I recommend reading the Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 168 all the way through 177, which address this question and many others. And now Julian wants to know, why do we sing in church? There's only one good reason to do anything in worship, Julian, and that's because the scriptures tell us to. God tells human beings to worship him, but he actually tells us more than that. He tells us how to worship him. So whatever he commands, we do. And if he hasn't commanded something, we don't do it. You'll find a summary of the elements of worship that God has given us, along with citations from Scripture, in the Westminster Confession, chapter 21, in sections 4, 5, and 6. Now, these include prayer, the reading of Scriptures, the preaching and hearing of the Word, singing, and the administration of the sacraments. These were all things we do in every Lord's Day worship service. So, that explains why we sing. It's also helpful to think about the value of singing. The best way to think about congregational singing is this. It is a form of prayer. In our liturgy, there is a dialogical structure. In other words, in some parts of the service, God speaks to us through his word, and in other parts, we answer him. Often, our songs are sung before or after some important moment in worship. We are called to worship, and we answer with songs of praise. We are assured of our pardon, and we respond with a psalm of thanksgiving. We are called to communion, and we come forward with a song of joy. And when you sing in worship, you are answering God's call to glorify Him. Literally, you are singing His praise. And now it's time for the big question. This week, our big question is actually two different questions from two different questioners. We have questions from Tim and from Caleb F. So let's give them both a round of applause. (laughs) 
First, here's Tim's question. He asks, why did Ahaz not trust God when he knew God would watch over him? And then Caleb F. asks, why would Zechariah doubt God? As you can see, although Tim and Caleb are asking about two different people in the Bible, King Ahaz in the Old Testament and Zechariah the priest in the New Testament, the substance of the two questions is basically the same. Both of these men, Ahaz and Zechariah, held positions of great authority among God's people, either in the kingdom or in the church. And you would expect them, due to their position, to be very faithful. And yet, in both cases, when they are tested, they respond with doubt. Now, we only know so much about these men, and so our ability to get inside their heads is pretty limited. But based on what we learn in Scripture, I think we can make some guesses about why each of them experienced doubt when he should have had faith. When it comes to King Ahaz, here's what I think. Ahaz forgot whose kingdom he ruled. His fear was that his enemies would triumph over him, and as the king, he felt responsible for the fate of the kingdom. In fact, he probably also took credit for the kingdom's flourishing as well. He thought of it as his kingdom, so that whatever good happened reflected well on him and was to his credit, and by the same token, whatever bad happened was on his shoulders. You might say he identified with the kingdom, but in the wrong way, because it led him to think that it was his kingdom, not God's. That meant that if Ahaz knew he didn't have the power to save the kingdom, he felt like it couldn't be saved. When it comes to Zechariah the priest, things are a little different. I'd put it this way. Zechariah forgot the kind of God he served. As a priest, he served in the temple, and his whole life was devoted to performing that worship exactly as God commanded. The order of the ritual mattered greatly, and I suspect that Zechariah had a lot of confidence in how God worked through that order. But when Gabriel appeared, I wouldn't say it was out of order, but it was certainly out of the ordinary. And for what Gabriel said to come true, God would have to work in very extraordinary ways, ways that Zechariah had heard of in the history of Israel, but had not witnessed himself. It seems to me that despite his knowledge, he'd simply forgotten who the God of Scripture was, how he delighted in doing the impossible. Zechariah surely knew the story of Abraham and Sarah, who'd had a son long after their childbearing years, so he could have responded to Gabriel with confidence, saying, God did it before, he'll do it again. But instead, that knowledge had somehow failed to shape his heart. If you think about it, we can all relate to these failings. If Ahaz trusted too much in himself and not in God, which made him despair when he realized how powerless he was, haven't we felt similar hopelessness? If Zechariah was skeptical of God's power because he hadn't let his knowledge of the Bible shape the expectations of his heart, well, haven't we been guilty of the same thing? It's actually very common for people, even in authority, to make both of these mistakes— to rely on their own ability instead of God's power, and to expect only what makes sense to them instead of believing that God can do the impossible. Why? Because we are all too human. 
Oftentimes, you'll find the most faith in people without power or authority. People like Mary in Luke chapter 1, who doesn't have the advantages of Zechariah in society, but clearly does take the history of God's actions to heart and trusts in the God of Israel instead of herself. People with humility are more likely to possess this strength than people with pride, which is why God sometimes humbles us. He humbled Ahaz, and he humbled Zechariah. In part, this was punishment as discipline, but it also reoriented these men so that they realized their own dependence on God. When their power was taken, they could no longer trust in it, and so it was easier to recover their trust in God alone. There are a lot of lessons in this, but one I want you all to hear is that being humbled is a good thing, and people with great authority and great knowledge will actually benefit from being humbled, from being reminded of their own dependence on God. The last thing you should do in the face of correction is puff up with pride and refuse to listen. Don't tell yourself you're too strong a Christian to listen to criticism, or that you know more than anyone else and no one can correct you. You're better off if your friends and loved ones humble you than if God does. One more lesson is this. We should all be on guard against hero worship. If a king can doubt and a priest can doubt, then let's not put our trust in kings or priests, or pastors either for that matter. Instead, let's put our trust in Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, Benton asks, Why do almost all pictures of Adam and Eve have Adam with short curly hair and Eve with long hair? Did the Bible say those things, or is it just speculation? Well, Benton, the Bible is pretty sparse when it comes to physical descriptions of people. There are a few exceptions, but as a general rule, anytime you see an artist's representation of a Bible character, you can be sure it's mostly a product of the artist's imagination. Now, these pictures tell us a lot, but not about the Bible. They reveal something about the culture in which they were made, what people at the time imagined about Scripture. So, if you study the history of religious art, you'll see that the way famous people or scenes get represented will be determined mostly by two factors. First, the artist's imagination reconstructing the biblical data, And second, the history of past reconstructions. In other words, each generation builds on the pictures of the last one, either adding to them or reacting against them. For us, though, the main point is that none of these images are really authoritative. And you have to be careful not to assume that the pictures you see are accurate. The best approach is to try and wipe your mind clear of all these guesses and approach the scripture for yourself. And now Caleb J. asks, How are you feeling? Why, thank you for asking, Caleb. That's very considerate of you. To be honest, I'm feeling pretty good. This is the 86th episode of The Big Question, and I feel like we're just getting started. Your questions get better and better, and while I'm not sure my answers get better and better, I at least hope that I'm getting better at answering, if you see the difference. This episode comes out on the very first day of the new year, and I'm feeling very good about what God will do in our lives in the days ahead. I hope you are, too.
That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.